is Acts uh, chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. As soon as they were freed... Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through your ancestor David, through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate the governor, the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand, according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats, and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. So this is quite a neat little passage that I get to speak about today. And I think it, it's, it's an example of, of answered prayer. And it also, I think, contains a really good blueprint on prayer, you know, what prayer can be. So, yeah, this comes straight after what Charles was talking about last week. You know, so they've had the healing of the begging man, and that led to the arrest of Peter and John. And then they were interrogated. But then they were released, because the authorities just didn't know what to do with them. And that's where we pick up today. So, now the first thing that struck me when I was reading this passage is that having faced persecution, Peter and John do not hide themselves away for fear of their own safety, or isolate themselves so that they can take some time to process what they've been through, which I think is something that we often do. And these are reactions we might expect from people who have just been imprisoned overnight and then threatened by the most powerful people in their community. But it's not what Peter and John do. Peter and John go straight to their fellow believers their companions, their friends, their family. And they tell them what had happened, and in response they all pray as one. This shows us what a blessing this church community, which we have access to, can be. Our culture teaches us that we need to make it on our own. But kingdom culture shows us that there is great power and comfort in being united with others. When we have taken a knock, we can be tempted to withdraw from other people. But the Bible advises us, advises us otherwise. So there's the story of Elijah. I don't know if you know it. Um, but I think it shows us clearly what not to do. 
He withdrew from everyone after being threatened by Jezebel. And he goes off on his own in a cave. And he groans about being the only one left, the only faithful prophet left. But that actually wasn't the truth. This story teaches us that isolating ourselves is not the answer. Unfortunately, it often just leads us to self-pity. Whereas the positive reaction to persecution which we see here from Peter and John, it teaches us that our place is within our church community. In the good times, in the bad times, and in the uncertain times. We give each other perspective. Comfort when it is needed, and challenge when that is needed. We are better together. So what do the believers do when they come together? They pray, of course. Now, wonderful as our church community is, it is even greater than the sum of all the people we see around us, or even of the wider global church that we read about and hear about. We have fellowship with God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, too. As Matthew chapter 18, verse 20 says, For where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. And indeed, as it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, If God is for us, who can be against us? Peter and John immediately returned to their community, and they immediately brought their concerns and their needs and their deficiencies to God to see what he would do about it. But do you know that they did something else first before they actually brought their requests before God? First, they brought their praises to him. As I said at the beginning, I think this is a real good example of what prayer can be. The best kind of prayer begins with praise. The believers began by saying this, O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. So these guys have been taught how to pray by the master, by Jesus himself. The one who prays for us constantly. He told them to begin their prayers with, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It is really good to begin our prayers by remembering who he is and who it is we are coming to with our needs, concerns, questions, deficiencies, whatever. We don't need to wonder whether the one we're bringing our our request to is capable of answering our prayers, but sometimes we do need to remind ourselves of this. And it's also good to remind ourselves that it is not all about us. We may have a massive list of things we need to bring to him, and there is definitely a time and a place for that. But there must also be a time and a place for praise and awe. Not least because that helps us to get our perspectives right and to know what we should be praying about in the first place. So it's only after they have begun with praise and and then they focus on what God has said through his word that the believers then start asking him for something. And I think that's a really good lesson. But another equally important lesson is to be found in what they actually ask for. 
You might think that after facing persecution, they would pray against those who have persecuted them. And it would be understandable. But even though in their prayer they mention those who persecuted Jesus and they draw God's attention to those who are persecuting them now, they say, but now, O Lord, hear their threats. They don't pray against them or seem to harbor any ill will against them at all. I, I really like the note in my ESV study Bible which said, their prayer for boldness in witness shows a determination to directly disobey the command of the Sanhedrin. They do not pray against those who persecute them, but pray for their own faithfulness in witness. I think this is another key to prayer. Prayer is just as often about bringing about a change in us as it is about bringing about a change in our circumstances. Now, of course, God moves and he shifts things in this world, and I don't want to understate that, and I think we sometimes do understate that. Maybe that's uh, something to talk about on another day. But God mainly does this through the changed hearts and changed lives of his devoted followers. It makes my heart a little sad every time I hear believers railing against those who are persecuting them. And it makes my heart a little bit sad when I find myself doing the same thing. Because it's really important to remember that, after all, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I believe that at their worst, people are just misguided and manipulated fools, as much victims as they are villains. The real villains are the mighty powers and evil spirits behind what they are involved in. And I think that the disciples really got this. The fact that their real enemy was unseen and that spiritual warfare was not about scoring points in a debate or making the other side look bad. Because they had seen Jesus living out a completely different kind of battle. There's a clue in this passage as to how the disciples saw Jesus. They call him your holy servant. And in some translations, it's actually written as your child. Why would they use that kind of language to talk about Jesus? You know, why don't they use King of Kings or Lord of Lords or one of those really cool, mighty names? You know, wasn't he victorious? Wasn't he now vindicated? Wasn't he sitting with God in heaven? Yes, he was. Yes, he is. But the disciples had seen how Jesus had played his role as king. He was a servant king. And another reading of the word holy servant that they use is a willing servant, devoted to God's will. And that sounds about right. Jesus was vindicated, victorious, without landing any blows, without lashing out at his persecutors. His victory was over the powers behind the persecution he was facing. His life and his dignity was not taken from him against his will. As Jesus said in 
chapter 10, uh, of, uh, chapter 10, verse 18 of John. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to, and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. Jesus was not angry with Pontius Pilate or Herod or the high priests. In fact, in one of his final acts before he dies on the cross, he asks God to forgive them. They know not what they do. That's the faith that we are called to. To be willing servants, devoted to God's will. Slaves of Christ, as Paul calls us. Not defensive and argumentative, but loving and giving, even in our disobedience. So instead of playing a blame game, the disciples rise above all that, and they ask for change in themselves. They don't ask for the challenge to be taken away from them, but that they would be equal to the challenge. They pray for boldness. And that the Lord would heal and bring signs and wonders. So they pray for what they can do. And for what they know God can do. Now, you might think that they were already pretty bold. I know that I do. But the thing is that we can always ask for more. The spiritual life is all about ongoing growth. The possibilities are endless. And the sky isn't even our limit. I find this passage really helpful and ones like it because if the disciples had to pray for boldness to speak the word of God and to share the gospel, then it shows that it is not as easy as all that. But we can see by their lives and their legacies that, of course, this prayer was answered. It worked. So that's an encouragement for us to keep on praying. We really shouldn't be discouraged by how little we have in any area. You know, whether it's boldness or faith or wisdom or whatever. Just always remember that little boy with five loaves and two fish. And Jesus used it to feed 5,000 people. God is faithful. And he will do it. Now, I can talk a lot, and I already have talked a lot. um, But I remember... uh, a really great guy um, talking a long time ago, he was speaking about how we have to be careful that our knowledge level doesn't overtake our experience level. Because then we're in danger of working in a world of theories and theology. And I think God's just too big for our little ideas and our simple understanding. So whereas I love talking about uh, theory and theology. I have to be honest, boldness in sharing the gospel is something that I really struggle with. I find it so easy to talk to believers about, um, about God. I really love to teach. I, I really like sharing my experiences, and I hope that I try to share quite honestly. But I do struggle. I really struggle to share my faith with people who don't know God. I think I I worry that I'm going to misrepresent him. But I do think, I definitely think on some level, that is down to pride. That I want to come across capable and I want to be in the right. And I want them to know it. (laughs) And 
I'm, I'm probably still overly concerned about how others are going to interpret what I say. So, while we've talked about this, instead of just passing on theoretical knowledge to you, I, I think it would be really good now to have a time of prayer. To lay a hold of that power which we, as a community of believers, have access to. If this passage teaches us anything, it is that prayer works. And God shook that room. And they received boldness that they had asked for. So I'd like us to have a time of prayer now. You can pray out loud or you can pray quietly, whatever you feel led to. But maybe, maybe it might be good to start by praying. We already have in the service. But it might be good by, to start by praising him, remembering who he is, get our perspectives right. Maybe then to recall something, a word from the Bible, a promise, or maybe part of this story, or something that comes to mind, to remember what he's already done. And then to ask for boldness in sharing his gospel, because we can't avoid it. This is something he asks us to do. And most importantly, then can we take some time to wait for the answer? Maybe he's going to shake the room. Maybe he's going to fill us with his spirit. Maybe he's just going to put someone in your head or give you an idea of how to share. I don't know. But let's pray and wait for him. I'll just read from my devotion that I read this morning. Everything I've been reading has been fitting together with what I was talking about today. And then I'll close in prayer. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Why should we be ashamed of confessing ourselves to be Christians? When the Lord Jesus was hanged on the cross, he bore our shame as well as our sins. The Bible clearly teaches us that he was put to shame he was humiliated by the soldiers in the Praetorium and disgraced by them at Calvary. If we, dis if we suffer disgrace from men, that is our rightful portion. No indignity that we receive today can compare with the shame which our Lord endured on the cross. Let it then be no surprise to us to suffer shame, for this is the portion of all who belong to the Lord. It is really the world which should be ashamed. A poet exclaimed, Can a flower be ashamed of the sun? Impossible. As a flower opens gratefully for all to see its response to the sunlight, so will we openly confess before men the Lord who has done so much for us. Yeah, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that we don't have to sit in our shame. You took it with you. You took it down to hell and you killed it. Um, we don't have to have any shame anymore. You have washed us clean and sprinkled us clean. That Our consciences are clean because of what you have done. And I thank you yeah, for the encouragement that these men who had seen you with their own eyes had to ask for boldness. But they knew that what they had seen and what they knew in their hearts they had to share. So they asked you for help. And we do pray for help, Lord. 
Lord, we don't want to stay the same. We want to keep on growing. Lord, I thank you for raining your presence down on us every day. You do it all the time. It's just pouring on us all the time. And I'm sorry for the time when I put up an umbrella to to try to control it, to try to make things a bit neater. God, I want to be carried away with you. I want to go with your flow. Thank you that you move through every generation. You are bringing new things every day. And we want to be a part of that. And we want everyone we know and love, and even those we don't know and we don't love, we want them in too. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it came today and we could all be with you as we were made to be? Lord, hear our prayer. Thank you that you do. And answer it, God. We put it on you. You are the one who makes things happen. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.